Alrighty, the Diamondbacks have swung their trade for a third baseman, picking up Eugenio Suarez from the Seattle Mariners in exchange for catcher Sebi Zavala and right-handed pitcher Carlos Vargas. We're going to talk about this trade on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. So hello everyone and welcome. I'm Mike McDermott. I cover the Dimebacks for Inside the Dimebacks on Fan Nation. I'm joined here today by AZ Snake Pits, James Atwood. James, how are you doing today? Doing well. It's been an exciting day so far. It's a big trade with the Mariners and the Dimebacks hooking up for another trade. Because I mentioned Suarez for Vargas and Zavala. What's your initial thoughts on the trade so far? Um, overall, from the Seattle point of view, it's a straight salary dump. There's, that's about the only way it can really be justified from Seattle's side. Uh, They're getting a third string backup catcher who at least is defensively capable. And they're getting Vargas who will miss the broad side of a barn two out of every four pitches. Uh, (laughs) But he throws hard. Uh, so I think uh, from Seattle's point of view, they're glad to be rid of uh, Suarez's salary. From Arizona's side, uh, it seems that they're going to be hoping to have a little bit more money to spend this winter. Uh, he's going to get $11 million this year and $15 million next year. So there isn't going to be a whole lot left to spend after that, maybe nine to $15 million somewhere, but his bat is an upgrade over Emmanuel Rivera, even though he strikes out 30% of the time, he has a little bit more pop and he does still get his walk. So there's going to be an offensive upgrade at third base for Arizona, assuming that he continues to perform the way he has in his career. Uh, defensively, he's a small step down from Rivera, but not a big one. I still wouldn't be surprised if both Rivera and Swords get plenty of at-bat playing third base, even though there's not really much of a platoon advantage there or anything. I still think the Bills can wind up being on the roster for a while. So, yeah. So a little bit of a clarification on the, uh, a little bit of clarification on the salary. I believe the $15 million for next year is actually a club option. It is, but there's the $2 no million way they this trade without expecting to pay it next year. Yeah, if so. they made this trade just to pick up the 11 million for this year and then let them walk, it was a bad trade. Yeah. And then if you look at kind of the third base position now, it's like if you keep Suarez in there for two years, that bridges the gap between him and Tommy Troy by the time Suarez is going to hit free agency again at 34, I believe, age after his age 33 season. Yeah, after his age 33 season, you'll have Tommy Troy getting ready to assume the third base position where you were also assuming that Lawler is going to hold down short, figure out shortstop by then too. Well, Either Lawler, well, I should say either Troy is going to be ready for third base or maybe Gino Groover. Uh, We're hoping for one of those two to be ready by the time Suarez is gone. Uh, It doesn't matter 
whether either one of them is or not, though, Lawler is not going to be the guy to go to third base, uh, regardless of what happens with Suarez, Groover, and Troy. <laughs> yeah. And then you look at the catching situation. Obviously, Savala was the Nymex backup catcher in September, wasn't postseason eligible, so they had to turn to Jose Herrera. Do you think that's, uh, you think catchers in a position D backs might address maybe as a secondary piece in a trade for a starting pitcher if they were to make one? I do expect them to pick up another catcher. I have my druthers on who they should target, but. Uh, I'm not in their front office, so I'm not going to get any say and go out and get Murphy or anybody like that. Uh, but they do still need to address somebody to play behind Gabriel Moreno so they don't run them into the ground next year like they did this year. Uh, it was very obvious when he started catching every day and was piling up the innings in a hurry that that uh, previous experience of never catching more than I think it was like 65 games. He, uh, he, he'd never caught a full season before, and it really showed. Uh, ideally, they find somebody to get his catching down to about 100 games. Yeah, because he ended up starting, uh, what, 94 games in the regular season and then all, what, all 20 of their playoff games, I think. <laughs> Too many games is how many he's 17. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if you have him postseason, if you have to start him 110, you worry. Well, obviously you worry about him wearing down the postseason. I think what that a three week trip to this, to the IL ended up being like, kind of like the rejuvenation factor. Kind of just, I think that had a lot of trip. Yeah. He, he finally got his legs back under him again. And, you could tell because he was starting to drive the ball more instead of just topping the ball. And then obviously in the case of the trade, the Dimebacks free up a 40 man roster spot because they had, thir- I think they had 39 players before the trade. Now they're down to 38 since they traded two 40 man guys for, and got one back. I think that yeah, opens I mean, up. That's going to give them some wiggle room. I don't think it was ever really a big priority. It's not like there are not still guys on the roster that could easily be moved on from. Even if they want to kind of keep a flyer on them, there's guys that they could still cut that aren't going to get picked up. So, yeah, Guys that you think will probably be outright. And I, I was going to say, Vargas was obviously going to be one of those roster cuts. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, Savala wasn't necessarily guaranteed a job for 24, but I feel like if they hadn't traded them, they probably would have, he would have probably had the inside track to the backup spot, in my opinion. It's possible. Um, they've got some internal options to throw at the walls like spaghetti to see if they stick in spring training. But I really do think that they're going to go out and get another catcher. Uh, I'm not sure how high a priority it is. I'm not sure it even has to be a high priority but I do expect that they're going to go pick up somebody else to help spell Gabby Moreno. And obviously probably the best, most major league ready in-house candidate for a backup role. It would probably be Adrian Del Castillo doesn't have, and obviously he's not on the 40 man roster because they don't have to protect him from the rule five draft and probably won't need to because he'll be on the 40 man roster before the season's mm-hmm. over. 
Yeah. What do you think I, of him as a compliment to Moreno as a left-handed bat? It really kind of depends. I mean, he's a guy that's been around for a while now. Um, we'll see how he does in spring. I think he's going to get plenty of looks then. Um, it's not like they need to go out and get a second Gabby Moreno to back up Gabby, but they need somebody that's more than a black hole in the lineup. And we'll see whether or not Adrian Del Castillo can fit that bill. Um, there's a non-zero chance Cerna's ready by the end of the, you know, by late season also. So we'll see how it goes. Well, Cerna's starting the year in what, double A, I think? He'll start in double A. Yeah, he'll be sharing double A with DeRazio, I mm-hmm. believe. So they're pro- and I would say Del Castillo is probably the only catcher in the organization that could see a call up, in my opinion, that isn't already on the forty man roster. Well, we'll see. Like I said, I still think they're going to go out and get another one, but I just don't think it's going to be a high priority until they've finally addressed starting pitching. So, yeah, I'm so a little, little bit surprised that they went out and got Suarez before they got a pitcher. But sometimes you got to just answer what's the, you just got to take what's there for now. Perhaps right. it's and also like I said, perhaps this, it could looks also. Like a, this looks like a clear salary dump for Seattle. And if it really was, then this isn't a deal that was going to be around a long time because they were looking to shed the salary. They were going to take the first, what they felt was decent offer. They got two guys that are going to be making league minimum. Uh, Sebi Zavala is out of options, so he's going to be their backup. <laughs> or he's so, going to get cut. <laughs> so looking at some of the other moves that have happened this month, the D-backs adding Blake Walston to the 40-man roster, as we discussed offline, that was the obvious candidate to add to 40-man roster. There are a couple others, Robinson and... De Los Santos that were talked about as potential guys that needed to be protected from the rule five draft. Do you think uh, when you look at those three players, which player do you think has the highest chance of getting selected and sticking on a major league roster? Walston, he's obviously not going to be selected of the three. He's the only one I would have thought would get selected. I don't think any teams got the, the bench depth to select a guy like Robinson. I mean, it's one thing to select a, a hard-throwing reliever that maybe you can help with tweaks here and there, and then you can shelter them from high leverage and try to get them some experience and mop-up duty and so forth, or just picking up innings here and there when a short starter goes short or something like that. It's another thing entirely for one of your position player spots to be taken. Uh, especially if he's limited to the outfield. So he's going to be your fourth or fifth outfielder, and you're going to have to give him reps. And with his uh, strikeout rate pushing 40%, and he hasn't seen anything more than like 30-something at-bats in double-A, you just can't take a risk on that for 162 games and expect to get any development out of it. And if you're not developing them, that's going to be a fourth year of development that the guys lost out of the last six. So I don't think that there's really any risk of Robinson getting uh, selected 
teams had a chance to get them for free without the restrictions to keep them on the roster last year, and they all passed. Yeah, that's I think the one. I think that's the one thing that people forget when they talk about Robinson being Rule Five eligible. I mean, the the, the triple slash numbers are fine. But one thing to note, I think in uh, Nick Picoro's chat, Baseball America chat, this was a pretty revealing statistic that said that Robinson's end zone whiff rate is 34%. Yes. Which is a... He's a a big-time free swinger. It's what allows him to make such hard contact when he does, but he goes right over the top of plenty of balls. And he still doesn't have great breaking ball recognition yet. So I'm not really worried about him getting picked up. Um, And same thing with David De Los Santos. I'm not terribly worried that he's going to get picked up. Uh, Almost every club has one or two big bat boom bust prospects in there that are kind of positionless. And that's almost him. I mean, he's okay at third. He's okay at first. He's probably long-term a DH. Yeah, based uh, on what I've what I saw in the fall league, he's better suited for first base than third. Mm-hmm. And from what I heard from the carry twins, he kind of has trouble throwing the ball once he has it. So that kind of exactly. almost eliminates him as a third baseman. Right. So, you know, again, I'm not terribly worried about him getting selected. Uh, maybe if he had put in a hundred extra at bats and triple a last year. We might be talking a little bit different, but yeah, was... that what he wasn't, he wasn't there yet. And I don't think that's really going to be a big deal. I mean, if they do lose him, that leaves them with the Ron Melendez instead. It was probably a more rounded player, but with less pop. Less, oh, well, I'd say more rounded, more likely to stick to a position. Just not sure which corner infield position. But then obviously he has one major flaw, and we'll see how he fixes that. Right. De Los Santos obviously has youth on his side. Melendez has only had one year in the system. So one year in the system and obviously has good makeup grades. So we'll see how those two guys pan out. So then the other big move, the other big move was Kyle Lewis being non-tendered instead of, I think his arbitration projection for his second year of arbitration as a super two guy would have been $1.61 million. So the D-backs elected to non-tender him instead. Yeah. Uh, MLBTR had him just a little under that. Uh, I wouldn't have much. If they had a little more money to play with instead of already being kind of tight on the budget, I think it would have been nice to try and hold on to them. But when they were looking at needing to add starting pitching, maybe a catcher and a baseman, you start to look and at another right-handed bat if they can. You start looking at where can I find another $2 million to try and edge out something. It made non-tendering Kyle Lewis kind of a no-brainer. Uh, this is where, you know, big market teams versus the mid-market teams like Arizona, it's different. A bigger market team can afford to keep carrying Kyle Lewis to see if he turns into something useful or at least makes for decent roster filler. In this case, they're better off to have the money to go and get themselves a pitcher. 
still think a team like Oakland that has really nothing to play for, but could try and make an upside play is also in play for a guy like Kyle Lewis. See if he can, if you give him like 200 bats, see what he does. Situation on a short side of a DH platoon because at his current physical condition, I don't think he can play a position. So you can see if he I'm turns sure somebody will. I'm sure somebody will at least give him a chance to to show off his bat again. I don't know if he'll make the best of it or not, but I, I'm sure somebody out there will at least give him an opportunity. Because yeah, the biggest concern for me is his ability to adjust to breaking stuff. Like if you throw, well, obviously every major league hitter is going to look bad against a good breaking ball, but it feels like he has really struggled struggles against slider it kind of really struggles against sliders in zone sliders he crushes just out of the zone is the ones he chases give him the most problems that's what i've seen well it's somebody else's problem now <laughs> of course the d-backs wouldn't have made the postseason if he didn't connect on an in zone slider against alex vestia in game two of the season <laughs> So we should thank Kyle Lewis for that home run. It was a big home run. The D-backs, it made the D-backs season. We count every win. This is true. I don't remember what the standings were. If there was a team that had 83 wins or not. You can double check before you. you can double check before. Okay, yeah, the Cubs, well, the Dimebacks would have won anyway. would have gotten in over the Cubs anyway, but best not to go to tiebreakers. We don't want tiebreakers, no. Of course, ironically enough, what was it? A tiebreaker that gave Arizona a more favorable path to the World Series, in my opinion? Probably. Because they weren't going to beat Philadelphia in a three-game series or a five-game series, is what we learned. <laughs> Once they, in a seven-game series, yeah, they did. Someone who's at the front door. So, um, so on the case of starting pitching, where do you think Dimebacks' budget is for how much they can spend? Do you think they're more in the 125, 125 or 130? Or do you think they'll have more options if their budget was closer to 135? I think they'd have way better options if their budget was closer to 135. After the Suarez deal, I've we still don't know what their payroll number is actually going to be, but all the estimates I've been hearing this recent trade puts them at probably nine to fourteen million dollars left to spend this year. How whether they do it in free agency or they make another trade for somebody already under contract or in arbitration, I don't know. But they aren't going to have, it's not like they have the money to go out and sign Aaron, well, Nolan, Nola already. But he's signing Aaron Nola at this point. Yeah, no one's, but they aren't going to have the money to go out and spend on a contract like that. Well, if you're going to get that type of contract, you might as well give it to Gallon. If he'll take it. Yeah. If he, so, would take that, if he would take that, I'd say sign him up today. <laughs> I was, and then uh, as the Cardinals have taught us, it's going to cost the D-backs at least $10 million per season to sign legitimate rotation help. So that's 
So with the budget that they have, they maybe have enough room for a four or five guy unless they pull off a trade to release some, a trade or shed some salary. Like I said, uh, Madison Bumgarner being a complete flop has definitely hurt the Dimax in the long term. Although, fortunately, yeah, I, this is the last year we have to deal with it. I still think that their best bet is going to be through the trade market. Uh, I thought that going into the offseason, I figured that they would have better luck spreading their 20 to $25 million around through trades. So you're getting guys that you're paying arbitration wages to, or maybe even pre-arbitration to, than to go out and get a guy who's reached free agency. Any of those quality guys are starting into that 16 to 18 a year kind of category usually, and that really limits their options then. Yeah, because I was say the price for bottom rotation is $10 million, the middle rotation guys 20 and then top of the rotation, forget it. Yes. Although you're for a number two star, you're looking at 25 million plus. Yeah. I, I really think it's going to have to come through trade or they're just going to blow what they have remaining on a potentially like a Wade Miley type or something like that. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily the best way to be going. I'm going to say, is there much of a difference between Wade Miley and Tommy Henry at their current stages of their careers? Exactly, and I'd much rather pay Tommy Henry league minimum and see if maybe he improves than pay Wade Miley, you know, 10 or $11 million and then risk him being Zach Davies 2.0 because he lost another tick or he lost a little more of his refinement. And you I think it's more he loses movement than velocity. I would worry about with Miley. Option him if he starts to suck. <laughs> In the case of Miley, I'm less concerned about velocity since he's never been a velocity guy. It's more so he doesn't have that late movement. So what well, would yeah, take pitches off the barrel if, would stay. If, get... if his fastball starting to top out around 87 instead of 89, you got to worry about that then too, because then he just absolutely cannot miss his spot. <laughs> no, especially towards the middle of the plate. And of course he misses in the other direction. It's a ball. So yeah, what trade? Uh, so why don't we discuss uh, trade tar- potential trade targets? I think, and obviously the cost for a controllable starting pitch for the Diamondbacks is probably going to cost them a Drew Jones type prospect at the minimum. I think it'll depend on what level of pitcher they go after and whether or not that pitcher has had any MLB success yet. Um, I still think that. Blackburn, despite not being anything special, makes a lot of sense for Arizona. There's a few years of control there. He's not going to be terribly expensive. Um, The Oakland A's are going to be looking for players further away from the majors, probably. So they aren't going to be looking for a guy that's stepping tomorrow, but probably more to step in at the end of the season or made the beginning of 2025. So Arizona will have a little bit more wiggle room with who they can dangle out there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are other options out there. I don't think Chris Young is going to be dumb enough to trade Owen White. He would be a, exactly the kind of candidate that I would want Arizona to try and go get. 
Yeah, I was going to say, uh, unless <laughs> Chris Young's not training Owen White unless he's getting controllable help. He's getting, uh, actually, there really isn't a starting pitcher on the trade market, really. I mean, because Cease and Keller have two years of control left. Uh, Corbin Burns will be a free agent next year. It's like, then Blackburn only has two years left as well. Although Blackburn himself has some concerns about how many innings you're getting out of him. That's the main thing that I look at. Finding guys that can give you 150 innings, the price goes up. Versus 120. Blackburn's a guy I think can give you 120. Well, sure. It's it's all going to come down to what Arizona's willing to cough up. I mean, Zach Gallon was not exactly on the trade market when they went out and picked him up. And I think they're going to be trying to look to make a similar kind of move. may not be with as high an upside swing as it was with trading Jazz for Gallon, but that's the kind of move I'm – expecting Hazen to make is picking up a borderline triple-A, almost ready for the majors kind of guy. That He's has, a little bit more upside than the guys they have. Right. Like if he doesn't uh, have more upside than Ciccone, why do the trade? A, a, a guy that maybe has five, six starts under his belt, but that's it. And going from there. Obviously, you mentioned Owen White as a category. Any other potential names that you think could possibly play in that role? Um, there are a few for the Yan- that the Yankees have whose names I'm drawing a blank on right now. Um, but they're all they're all going to be rolling the dice for one reason or another. <laughs> yeah, so the Diamondbacks and the Yankees don't necessarily match up in a trade very well. D-backs aren't looking to subtract from their 40-man roster, and the Yankees aren't interested in picking up prospects, necessarily. So, yeah, looking at the... So, yeah, looking at some of the guys that... I think Michael King got some starts for them, but obviously uh, King better fits the bullpen long-term, maybe. But the Yankees probably aren't interested in trading him, and they probably need as many rotation arms as they can get. Especially considering, what, two... Two-fifths of their rotation spent the majority of the season on the injured list between Cortez and Rodon. Right. I, and Severino's. I, it, it's really going to come down to what are the Diamondbacks willing to spend? Uh, is Ken Kendrick willing to open up the wallet more so they can go after something slightly higher end? Or are they willing to part with somebody like Drew Jones? Um though I'm not sure who you get for Drew Jones since I don't think an Owen White is going to be available, and I'm not trading Drew Jones for Dylan Cease. Not a, not a chance. I wouldn't trade him for Corbin Burns either. No, not for just the one year, no. I think it's one of those cases where if you're the Dimex, it's like you kind of have to hold on to Drew Jones because Drew Jones' potential – will do more for your roster than whatever pitcher he brings back, I think. Or if you're looking beyond 2025. Or, of course, the D-backs pitching staff beyond 2025 is is kind of murky, but then again, that's true for every pitching staff. It's hard to project three years forward with it. The hardest thing for the Diamondbacks is that both Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallon are getting ready to both be headed out, and 
you really got to wonder about extending Merrill Kelly again. Uh, yeah. It's been great. The extension is the like, option. Yeah, because he's been great, but he's also hitting the wrong side of the aging curve now and putting a lot of mileage on late in his career. And yep. then you've got Zach Gallen, who, unless they pay full At least Aaron Nola money. Unless they start with Aaron Nola money right now. And that may or may not still be enough to get him to pull the trigger. Uh they're going to have to pay full freight of what the expected market is in two years in order to extend him now. I was going to say, they were going to pay gallon full freight, whether or not they were going to have to pay gallon full freight, whether or not his agent is Scott Boris gallons type person, I think will bet on himself. Right. So it's a very big part of it is it's difficult to look at their rotation and have any kind of, certainty because their two their two big horses are both getting ready to step at the same time and they don't have anybody currently in house that looks like they're going to be able to eventually step into that i mean brandon fought might be we'll see how 2024 goes once he gets stretched out some and then slade sacconi maybe but he needs jarvis maybe if he has better fastball command, I think. Is a dark horse for a mid rotation spot, but I, but I still think he's more likely to end in the bullpen where he can just, as in his words, let it eat more. Mm-hmm. Might be a better pitcher when he's throwing ninety seven, ninety eight versus uh, ninety three, ninety four. Right. That's what I think. And then obviously Ryan Nelson's a. Uh, we uh one of those guys that's difficult to project because Nelson is he, Nelson to me is either a mid rotation starter or a back end of the bullpen guy, and I just can't figure out which one. My guess is he'll be a bullpen guy, but they don't have to rush to that decision yet. No, I mean if if he's only a fastball slider guy, obviously bullpen. But if if we can get that change up to work, then then you got a mid rotation starter profile, in my opinion. Maybe a little bit better conditioning. I, I felt like in the starts, his stuff held up a little bit longer than compared to 2022. Like he was pretty much gassed at the 70 pitch mark in his first three starts. It was more so in the 80 pitch mark, I think, le- last year. But obviously, he has pro- problems just getting to that number with the stuff that he has right now. So like you can't really blow 96 by guys when they don't have to respect anything else. Right. Um, I think the only other pitcher that might be close to getting ready to step into a, a really important role in the rotation might be human Lynn, but he's still got to prove it in Reno for a while first. Yeah. I mean, you look at, I was going to say, you look at, he's probably going to need, they're probably going to make him pitch 20 times in Reno before they make a rotation decision on him. Right. Although Lynn should be, uh, I think Lynn's got 11 starts in Amarillo. So there's a non-zero chance he opens up the year in Reno, maybe a short run in uh, Amarillo to start the year, but I think it'll be in Reno by mid season. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if it took beyond mid season for him to reach Reno. I think his initial uh, assignment for 2024 will be 
largely based on his spring training performance. Yeah, because he's a kind of a throwback lefty kind of thing. Other than size, size throwback lefty doesn't necessarily light up the radar gun, but he can maneuver around the strike zone with different pitches, different speeds. It's kind of like it's like a throwback mm-hmm. to the Tom Glavin days. So that'll be, I think that'll be interesting too. And also seeing Blake Walston see what he can do. You're ho- I'm hoping his 2022 velocity comes back. Because that's a much different profile than 2023 Velo. But uh, who knows? Because uh, I think the one fall he started was 88 to 92, but you might not necessarily be able to effectively measure a guy's velocity when he's gone through a long season, 140 plus innings, and then stopped and then started up again. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make about Walston. Uh, He's clearly going to get some MLB time next year, one way or the other. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to boil down to the position the team is in, in the standings and with health of the arms. Because his first call to the majors is probably going to be as an injury replacement. Yep. So looking at that fifth star spot, who would you have on your depth chart? We're going to assume the Dimebacks make the move for their number four starter behind Gallon, Kelly, and Fott. So what would your depth chart look like? Um, Depending on whether or not they pick up a lefty, uh, I think Tommy Henry probably has the, the inside track if they don't, just because teams like to have a, at least one left-handed starter. Uh, if they do get a lefty or they do decide that they're willing to have an all right-handed rotation, which isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world if they're all decent, uh, Slade Ciccone would probably be my uh, top of the list uh, of the guys that are currently ready to go and get some innings in. All right, so, yeah, I have that order as well. So after those two? After those two, it gets really murky because we don't know who's going to be a bullpen arm and who's going to be left in the rotation. I think Blake Walston will be a left as a starter as long as they possibly can leave him there. So that would probably make him next in the depth chart, though there's an argument to be made to give some of these other guys one more look at the rotation. But if we're just going with the guys that are clearly still being used as starters, I think Walston probably comes next. I'm looking at Nelson and Jarvis. Those are two guys I have projected going to the bullpen. Like Nelson obviously is a guy that has zero business. I think Ryan Nelson's a guy that doesn't have any business pitching in triple a. It's like, well, he's not, he's got nothing to learn at that level. Right. In my opinion. And if he's only going to be a fastball slider guy, you might as well start to transition to bullpen. The D-backs already have a decent idea of what Jarvis will look like as a reliever, how he bounces back. He profiles for it pretty well. So that may also be an option to get his, uh, get him on the roster instead of waste his bullets in AAA. I could see that very much being the solution there. Um, and then obviously Jameson is going to miss the whole season. So he's kind of irrelevant to the whole conversation right now. Uh, by the time he's ready to pitch, Lynn should also be in the mix. 
Yeah, and if Jameson does come back, it's going to be as a reliever. They're not going to be able to stretch him out, even well, on a fast well, rehab schedule. There's no way he he's going to be able to come back in twenty. They didn't let him go in for Tommy John until September. <laughs> well, they knew. I think say they knew he wasn't going to come back in twenty four anyway. That's probably why they tried to rehab it first. Yeah, and then get it at a point where you should be full blast when spring training opens up in twenty twenty five. Worst case scenario. Yeah, Should so, have a relatively normal offseason. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, it's going to be a combination of Henry and Ciccone, depending on who that number four starter is. Then after them, Walston seems the most likely just because he's still a starter. Uh, he hasn't been bouncing back and forth between bullpen and rotation yet. I just know I I just noticed I messed up the ticker at the bottom. It says the Eugenio Suarez, and then it just stops. <laughs> oh, well, at least I at least well, I mentioned the trade in exchange for right hand pitcher Carlos Suarez and catcher Sebi Zavala. <laughs> if you notice it, put a comment down below, and also make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a like. And make sure to check out the Snakes on the Diamond podcast. We're gonna next time we're gonna be talking about Baseball America's recently released top ten list of prospects by Nick Picoro. Uh, I believe we're gonna have Spencer on for that as well. Okay. Try and get that done later in the week and get that published. So before we go, uh, anything you'd say that you're thankful for? I'm thankful for the season the Diamondbacks gave us. Uh, plenty of excitement and reasons to be bullish about the future. And beyond that, I'm looking forward to some downtime. <laughs> yeah, the season was a month longer than we all expected. And for good reasons. We'll take that. So, yeah, in my case, I'd say thankful that I was able to cover a team that had went on to have the type of success that they had. Go on a playoff run much deeper than everyone thought would happen by almost a full month and then uh thankful for the opportunity to uh talk about this game with others you wes spencer jack jesse alex everyone and looking forward to seeing what this team can do to bring that sustainable success that they're seeking out see if that see if hazen can pull off some more magic so yeah, just as a quick recap again, D-backs just traded for Eugenio Suarez, who is expected to fill a third base position for the next year, year one to two years. And uh, hopefully we'll see some more exciting moves as this offseason goes around. Thanks for watching. Take care.